With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. It's episode 61 of the podcast, and we're so glad you could join us for this week's episode. A lot to get to. Just got back off a road trip. That's why I might look a little disheveled on the camera here. No time to shave. No, you just you just keep rolling with it. You just got to go with it. So if you're watching on flowhockey.tv, apologies for uh, the appearance. But we've been busy. And so there's a lot to get to. And we're going to talk about a lot of it today on the show, especially the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge and the Under-18 Five Nations, which is where I was for the last week, um, watching a lot of NHL draft-eligible prospects. And I'll give you a lot of updates there. You can also read a lot about both events on flowhockey.tv. I got a couple of reports there that will help you uh, kind of catch up on what happened and who looked good, who maybe didn't, and and what happened at these events. But we'll talk about it here today on the show as well. And uh, a couple other things. We'll, we'll also ha- answer your questions, as I always do. Plenty of good prospect questions coming out. Um, and there is a lot going on in the hockey world, as there always is, so... We'll try to cover as much as we can, but today's show is mostly going to focus on these the international break, and the IIHF has these breaks built into a a season that basically allows international teams to compete, and while American teams and Canadian teams don't shut down, a lot of the European ones do, so that they can have these kind of cool events, and the, the one that we'll start with today is the one that I was at most recently in Plymouth, Michigan. That is the Under-18 Five Nations Tournament. Include the United States, Czechia, Finland, Sweden, and Switzerland. That's an event that would normally uh, include Russia, and that'll be a theme that you'll hear. These events all would normally include Russia, but uh, not, uh, not allowed to participate in international competition. However, they are playing teams from Kazakhstan and Belarus uh, in, in other tournaments as well. So... Uh, not sure how much that's going to help uh, Russia in, in terms of the international stage, but obviously the reason they can't participate in international hockey has a lot more to do with anything uh, outside of hockey. And then, of course, uh, we're thinking of the people of Ukraine as as that is uh, con- this ongoing conflict has really had an impact on the hockey world. And one such thing that it impacted was the 
uh, forthcoming or was forthcoming 2024 World Cup of Hockey, which would have featured NHL players. Uh, I think the uh, uncertainty in Russia is really a big reason why they decided to delay that to 2025. That news came out last week. So disappointing news on the international hockey front as well, but also very necessary. Uh, we'll see if anything changes over time uh, because the NHL would certainly like their current Russian players to play, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for them to be able to play under the Russian flag, given what everything is, uh, giving what's going on right now. But bringing it back to what we were talking about in the the prospect world, the under 18 Five Nations, um, it's it's a good event. And, you know, I was in Plymouth, Michigan. So was a ton. I'm literally hundreds of NHL scouts. Some general managers were there. Probably saw about 10 or 11 NHL general managers in the building as well. A lot of... Uh, uh, you know, high-level scouts like scouting directors. They bring in their European scouts. So a lot of teams had really big staffs at this event to go take a look because it's sometimes it's your best chance to see these European players. And especially when it's in the United States, it makes it a lot easier to see those players. But, you know, this under-18-5 Nations in general was a little bit of an underwhelming tournament in terms of the level of talent that was there. We know this is a big draft season, um, a lot of Canadian talent this year. So obviously no Canada there, that means... Those players aren't playing in this event, but the U.S. had some high, high-level draft prospects. So did Sweden. Finland had some of their best as well. And then Czechia was missing a couple of their top players from the birth year. And then Switzerland, you know, they, they had their best team, but not necessarily a team that had a ton of draft prospects on it. Nonetheless, it's a great chance to, to compare and contrast these players. It allows other players to kind of raise up and, and, and show NHL scouts what they can do against their own age group. So many of these guys are playing in U20 leagues and, and certainly some are even playing professionally. And that doesn't always allow them the opportunity to stand out. They're younger players. You know, they might not be, they might be down the depth chart. When they play within their peer group, it just gives you a really good idea of one-to-one. You know, I can see Will Smith from Team USA versus Otto Stenberg from Sweden and watch them on the same ice surface and compare and contrast those players and see how much of a gap there really is. So, a lot that that that's one of the big things about these kinds of events that really helps is that we get to see those players right up against each other there. Um, and of course, this all builds towards the under 18 world championship that'll be held um, in April in Switzerland. So looking forward to that event, because that's usually one of the, the last major draft events that you'll see a lot of those same people that were in Plymouth are going to be out in Switzerland watching those games and certainly not a bad spot to, to go watch a tournament out there uh, in Switzerland. But to get back specific to this event, there were several players that really popped in. I have a full rundown of the standout performers and even the players that didn't necessarily stand out or players I thought hurt their draft stock at the under 18 Five Nations. Uh, you can read all of that there, but I did want to summarize a little bit here on the podcast for you. And I wanted to talk a bit more about Will Smith. And, and Will Smith is the leading scorer for the national under 18 team at the NTDP this year. Um, he is averaging over two points a game. He had nine points in the five nations tournament. So nine points over four games. So a little bit ahead of his point per game, his points production from this season filled up the highlight reel with a ton of skill plays. And so I had Will Smith ranked eighth on my initial draft ranking. And after I've seen him a lot this season, I saw him last year, I've seen his progression. And now I'm starting to think that I had him too low. I think that Will Smith is one of the most skilled players in this entire draft. 
I think that his ability to uh, make defenders miss, to create space for himself, to find the right outlet, to make the right plays, to score at the level that he has this season, the fact that he does, you know, he competes well off the puck too. I think that was another thing. There are there are shifts where he can wane a little bit, and you don't want to see that from a top prospect. You can see where it's just his edge is a little bit off, where you know it's maybe the back check isn't as strong, or maybe that happens with a lot of players. But you just tend to notice it more with these guys that are top top end because you're looking at all the little pieces of their game, and that's one of the things that absolutely for me, you know, is if he can just keep that that intensity the entire shift and every shift for every game, I think he's going to be even better than he is right now. But I'm starting to think, hey, this is a guy that might belong in that top five conversation. We've talked about guys like Braden Yeager, Zach Benson, Edward Shala. Um, uh, you know, Leo Carlson is kind of in that upper echelon where he's probably fourth and it's going to be hard to catch him. But I, the way that I've been kind of watching Smith throughout the season, the level that he's producing at, it's starting to get to me like this is a guy that that is one of the top tier prospects of this draft. Um, and, and you know, he is a guy that I think can he's not going to challenge Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli or Matt Vaymichkov, but he is in that next group. And so I, I think that's really special um, and, and rare. One thing about Will Smith, as I mentioned, he's averaging over two points a game at the NTDP. Now he's played 18 or 19 games so far this season. And so there's a long season to go. Whether or not he maintains a two-point-per-game pace uh, is unclear. But you have to remember, he's playing against Division I colleges, USHL, and international competition, has maintained a two-point-per-game pace. Now, you think about all the players that have played at the National Team Development Program over the years. There is one player in the history of that program that averaged better than two points per game over the course of an entire season, and that was Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes had, I think, 2.24 points per game in his under-18 season, set the all-time scoring record at the NTDP. Just a special, special performance from Jack Hughes. Will Smith didn't have the same U-17 season that Jack Hughes had, and his U-18 season is behind of Jack Hughes's pace because everyone's would be because it was unprecedented. But the fact that he's averaging over two points a game at this program where they have had all of these superstar players over the years. We're talking Austin Matthews, Patrick Kane, Phil Kessel, all these guys that, that historically have been among the top producers in the NHL. And Will Smith is ahead of them currently. Now, again, it's a smaller sample with the 18-game set. But what Will Smith is doing this season is nothing short of remarkable. And now all of a sudden I'm starting to think this is a guy that we need to get up into the rankings. He's a good skater. He's one of the most skilled players. His hands are outrageous, absolutely incredible. He has tremendous deception in both using his skating ability, his head fakes, his shoulder fakes. He makes guys miss, curls up to the top of the circles, makes plays on the interior. That's the one thing I was talking to some NHL scouts. They want to see him get to the interior more, play a little bit harder-nosed hockey. He still needs to get physically stronger, but you know he's about... 5'11", 6 foot, somewhere in that range. He's, uh, you know, gotten stronger than he was last season, which I think has contributed to his success this year. He's got a little bit more burst in his skating, and he's just one of the most tremendous players transitionally in this entire draft. The way that he makes plays in transition and into the offensive zone, this is a player that you need to watch closely the rest of the season. Will Smith had a great four, five nations. He's had a great season to date. I think he's going to be one of these guys that we are going to watch all year 
and he's really going to move up the uh, up the list. And I think that he could be a top, you know, if he's not in the top tier with those guys, he's in that next tier with like Leo Carlson and the next wave. I really do feel that way about Will Smith. And I think he's going to go fairly high in this NHL draft. Other players that had great tournaments, also nine points in the tournament, Gabe Perot. And Perot is currently second in scoring for the under-18 team. He just committed to Boston College two weeks ago, which means that he, Will Smith, and Ryan Leonard, Team USA's entire top line, are now going to Boston College together. And this line has such tremendous chemistry. And as great as Will Smith thinks the game, I think Gabe Perot thinks the game at a similar, if not better, level in terms of the way that he processes the game. He doesn't have necessarily um, the, the execution that Smith does, at least consistently, but Perot is a high-level thinker of the game. He has tremendous vision, makes plays that you just don't expect him to make. He, he actually had a highlight reel goal in one of the games in this tournament where he went through about four guys, so he's got the hands. One thing that I was really concerned about last season in terms of his overall projection was his skating ability. I didn't think it was strong enough, you know, to get him into that next phase. After watching him about four, five times live so far this season, it's less of a concern now than it ever has been. He spent a lot of time working on his lower body strength. That's given him a little bit more pop in his skating. He's got better straight ahead speed. He's not going to burn anybody or blow anybody away. He doesn't have the outside speed as some of these other guys do. But what he does have is he's got that intelligence. He knows how to play. He processes the game at a tremendous pace. And when you do that, you're giving yourself an opportunity to, to, you know, to have all of those other little intricacies of your game that maybe aren't as strong. They don't matter as much because you process the game at such a level. And I think that Gabe Perot in particular is one of those guys who has some high, high-end hockey sense and tremendous vision that's going to allow him to play at an NHL pace. So uh, this is a player that I think is vastly improved. He tied Smith for the tournament scoring lead. He's second on the team in scoring right now. If you look at the all-time list in terms of points per game, he's at about 1.89 right now. That would put him fifth in the NTDP in a single season. So very special player that is doing some special things this year. So Gabe Perot also belongs in that conversation. Another guy that really stood out, we've talked about him before, Oliver Moore. And, and the thing about Moore that last season impressed me was his skating. It stands out. It's even better this year. The other thing that he's added to his game is physical strength. Now, this is a guy that's committed to the University of Mich uh, Minnesota. He's, he's made, um, you know, he's a Minnesota kid. He's done a lot of the things that, you know, you, you would expect. But one thing he did off of this last offseason, as I heard from multiple people while I was there, and then physically seeing Oliver Moore, you know, in person, had a chance to interview him. You can actually catch that interview on hockey TV, uh, flowhockey.tv. Um, he is exceptional in terms of uh, the amount of strength, the, the way that he is maximized. He's not a big guy, but he is maximizing his frame with physical strength. He's getting you know thicker, stronger, and he has some of the best skating. He may be the best skater of this entire draft. Um, his speed is outstanding. He was able to beat defenders wide. He actually beat everybody wide on a wraparound. Now, that's not necessarily something you're going to be able to do at the NHL level. But his speed in transition, the hard nose that he's he's developing more of that hard nose style. He's getting into the middle more. He's using that strength to his advantage. Those are things where he's really jumped up. And so I've been very impressed with Oliver Moore. Another guy that I did want to focus on from Team USA, Ryan Leonard. We've talked about him a lot this year. He's scoring nearly at a goal per game. 
Uh, he got a, a, a tremendous shorthanded highlight reel goal that he scored that ended up on Sports Center on the top ten. Um, just he he has, you know, his his hands are deceptive. I don't think that he necessarily processes the game the same way that Smith and Perot did. And, and Ryan actually told me the biggest thing that he wants to work on is his overall vision and being able to spot the plays and may, being able to maximize what you know Will Smith and and Gabe Perot can do. And and he's kind of been the finisher and the guy that gives him a little bit more space and and time uh, with his size and his physicality, but he wants to get more of that going. And I think his hands are are even better than I thought they were last season. He's got scoring ability, and then he's got that hard nose style that I think speaks to a lot of teams. And you know he he took his licks, he dished them out at this tournament. Um, he's one of the more physically strong individuals in this class, and. You know, we got to see that at the under 18 Five Nations. I kind of mentioned it was a bit of a weaker tournament. A lot of the European players didn't really stand out. Otto Stenberg was one that did for, for Sweden. I think his skating ability, his skill, um, you know, his 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 ability to get to the interior, his work ethic, all those things are right in line with the player that you'd expect to go in the first round. I thought he was their best player game over game over game, um, where he just brought that effort every single night. Uh, Axel Sandin Pelika, who was in our top 32 on Flow Hockey, um, he had a strong tournament that did, you know, I think I see some of the little things that scouts, you know, as I was talking about what, what will prevent him from getting in the first round. And it's just, does he have enough offensive finish? You know, he, he, he's got the ability to make some plays. He's got skating ability. He gets into open space. Can he make that one or two extra plays where he's, you know, making, making a defender miss or extending a play with, you know, deception or using his hands or his skating. Um, so he's got a lot of tools, but that's another guy that, you know, you're definitely like saying, okay, we want to see a little bit more. You know, I think there were some disappointing performances overall in the tournament. Noel Nord for for Sweden, who is in the top 32, big guy, very skilled. Uh, just didn't see him impact the game enough at his size and at his ability. Um, did get a couple of goals. You know, he had some some nice flashes, but not consistently enough. And And I thought that at his size, he should have been a more physically dominant player against his own age group. And I don't think that materialized in, in any meaningful way. Uh, Emil Yerventi, another player that was in the top 32. Um, you know, that's every once in a while you get a player and you say, okay, well, I go to an event and you're saying, are they going to validate what I thought about them coming in? Or am I going to have to reevaluate what I did before? And this is a case exactly where I reevaluating feel like I may have missed uh, a, a key things. I mean, he just kind of did not really impact the tournament um, in any meaningful way. And at, when you when you see these guys against their own age group, you expect more from them. This is a guy that's, you know, kind of, this has been the trend of his season. It's gone kind of down, down, down since the Holinka. And, and so now I'm starting to get a little bit more concerned about where, you know, where he is, but you know, he was not even one of the top four or five guys on his roster in this tournament, I thought. And, and so then when you have a guy that's that high in your draft rankings, all of a sudden you're saying, okay, well, what did I miss? And I think part of it is, you know, he is on the smaller side. He's probably not quick enough to, to make that big of an impact. Um, he's got skill. There's no question. He showed a few flashes here and there. I think the work ethic needs to improve. I think he needs to be better off the puck and he just needs to find more ways to impact the game. Didn't necessarily think that was that strong of a showing. So, um, you know, you hate to single guys out like that, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's all about really, you know, my thought process as well and, and trying to you know, make sure that I'm giving you guys as I put out these draft rankings, my most up-to-date thoughts on these players because we won't update the, the actual list 
until later in the in the in January after the World Juniors and everything else. So a lot going on there, but um, plenty to uh, plenty to kind of try and figure out and, and and get get squared away. But I'll tell you what, you know this this under eighteen five nations in general and that U eighteen team. There's a lot of guys I'm not talking about that played really well. Guys like Aaron Minetti and I like Paul Fisher. Trey Augustine, the goalie, was very sharp in two starts. Um, you know, they, they were solid. I think, you know, for Finland, Jesse Kiskinen had a huge tournament, uh, was third in scoring in the tournament. I thought I loved his work ethic, his pace. You know, I thought he was Finland's best player game to game. Um, really looked good there. Jesse Nurmi, same thing. He, he he made an impact, not as big as Kiskinen, but he impacted the game in a very in a couple of various ways there. So that was the under-18 cha- uh, Five Nations. Really excited to be there. It was great to be at USA Hockey Arena, see a lot of familiar faces and certainly a lot of scouts out there. So a great chance to gather a lot of information as well. All right, we're going to transition now after I take this brief sip of coffee to just give that energy shot to make sure that we're, 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 I'm giving you my full effort here because this is a really exciting thing to talk about. We're gonna get to the under 17 challenge right after this sip. And there it is. I don't think you needed the commentary for it, but since we're on video, I just wanted to make sure that uh, everybody knows what's up. All right. So we go to the under 17 World Hockey Challenge. First time in two years the event has been held. It was you know shut down because of the pandemic. Um, if you don't know about this tournament, it is kind of the de facto under 17 World Championship. It's not a double IHF event, so it's not officially a world championship. It's Hockey Canada hosted. As such, they have three teams instead of just one. They uh, t- try to break it up. It's more of an evaluation event for them. It's part of their program of excellence. It allows them to kind of watch a larger number of players in high-level competitions, which, you know, they're footing the bill for the tournament. So I don't think that that's uh, uh, necessarily a bad thing at all. Certainly makes it harder for them to compete. But back in the day, they used to break it up by region. It was even harder uh, for them to compete back then. Um, But no Russia again this year, as we talked about already, for the reasons that we talked about. Uh, But Finland, Sweden, Czechia was there, and then the United States. And the United States sends their team from the National Team Development Program um, and they've won this event five times coming into the season. Well, now they've won it six times. They finish a perfect 7-0-0. They beat Canada Red 11-3 in the championship game. And this is one of the great showcase events for not this year's draft, but the next year's and the year after that. And if you are excited about this year, there was plenty to get excited about for the next couple of years based on what we saw in this tournament. And it starts with 2025 draft eligible James Higgins from Team USA, 21 points in seven games at this tournament. 21 points in seven games for James Higgins. It is a new single tournament record. Um, Colin White had the previous record of 18. Colin White played in six games. James Hagen played in seven games at the tournament. James Higgins averaged three points per game. Colin White averaged three points per game, so you can't just make the excuse that he had more games. So, he had, of course, he had more raw points. No, James Higgins had one of the most special performances, and he almost was outdone, almost was outdone by his own teammate and linemate, Cole Iserman, who had 20 points in the game. He had six points in the championship game. Six points, a hat trick included in that six points. With the three goals that he scored the championship, he had 12 for the tournament. Alex Ovechkin is the only other player to have scored as many goals. He ties Alex Ovechkin, who had 12 goals at the same age back in, I think, 2001 or 2002. And that was 
remarkable. So Cole Iserman, elite level goal scorer. We got a couple of questions about both Hagens and Iserman that we're going to get to in our Q&A portion, but just a tremendous, tremendous uh, level of um, uh, play by those two players. A lot of other players played really well in the tournament, but they're just going to be overshadowed because they essentially doubled up the next, you know, the next closest players, um, almost completely double there. And, and to see what that U.S. team did, a plus 34 goal differential, all the other teams, uh, Finland was the only other team that finished in the black and goal differential, probably because, you know, this U.S. team seemed to just steamroll everybody. Um, so, you know, they, had, they scored 51 goals over the seven games and only gave up 15. So pretty darn good from them. Um, you know, I'd have to say it's probably the single most dominant performance by a U.S. team. Last time U.S. won it, it was in 2017, and they were led by Cole Caulfield and Jack Hughes, who torched the tournament, combined for 28 points. So they combined for 28 points. Hagens and Iserman combined for 41 points to become the highest-scoring duo in the history of this tournament. So a lot of excitement there. Iserman is draft-eligible in 2024. Um, you know, a another thing about that tournament, Canada Black had – Really good players, Macklin Celebrini and Cole uh, and Malcolm Spence. Both of them got sick at the tournament. They ended up not being able to complete the tournament. That They had a bit of a bug running through that team there. I'm not sure of the specifics. It was COVID, flu, those types of things, because a lot's going around right now. Uh, but that really you know, kind of put a damper on the tournament. Um, you know, I think it's also important to note, without Rush in this tournament, you know, it does take away some of the competitive uh, you know, one of the, the teams that's always competitive, Russia usually in the mix for gold at this uh, at this event, uh, but they were not there. So, you know, USA, I, still, I don't think it was necessarily the cakewalk that it looks like on paper, um, because as I've been through that tournament before as a staffer at the MTDP, it is grueling. It is a lot of games in a short amount of time. And if you are not on your game, it is really easy to fall off of it and just lose your footing in that tournament. And, you know, for all the years that it's been hosted, the NTDP has six championships, um, you know, but there have been years where it was Russia or where it was Czechia, you know, a lot of different uh, countries in the mix there. But this U.S. team, just incredible. Uh, also wanted to point out, because they were so overshadowed, but played very well, uh, Berkeley Catton and Porter Martoni from... Uh, Canada Black, uh, Canada Red, which ended up in the championship game. They both had 12 points, so they also had one of the better showings in that tournament by a Canadian duo combining for 24 points. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately for them, gets overshadowed a little bit by uh, what was done by Iserman and Hagens. And as I mentioned, we'll have a few questions about those two coming up uh, very shortly because we are going to get to our Q&A in just a second here. Before we do get to that, um, wanted to remind you, we're getting a lot closer to the World Junior Championship right now. Uh, Team USA is starting to make some of their decisions. You know, I think they've got a depth chart in place for the players that they're going to select from. Um, you know, they, they've kind of drilled that down, but they're, you know, so, you know, I think we could see some under 18 players there. I think Will Smith is going to be in the mix for that team. Ryan Leonard should be in the mix for that team. You could even say maybe even Oliver Moore uh, with his incredible speed. Uh, Trey Augustine, the goaltender who got two starts and, and played very well. He had a 9.51 save percentage in the tournament over his two starts. Um, you know, he's going to be in the mix. The goaltending position is one of the U.S. positions that's kind of weakest right now, um, and there's not a lot of uh, depth there. So, you know, you might have an underage goalie go in Trey Augustine. He played as an underager last year at the Under-18 World Championship. Um, and, 
you know, he's a very interesting goalie. And if he can, you know, keep it together there and, and have a good showing in camp, you know, maybe he ends up as USA's goalie because they just, it really is one of the weaker crops that they've ever had to select from. Um, and that even goes back to last year because they could have had Drew Camesso, but he opted out of that tournament. Um, so, you know, so they're, they're, they're still looking for who's going to be the guy. Um, and Caden Emberico was the guy last year, still eligible for this tournament. Um, but, you know, you have to decide who's going to be best. So keep an eye on that. We'll be talking a lot more about the World Juniors coming up. I'm planning to head out to uh, uh, Halifax and Moncton uh, later this year for one of the, the big prospect scouting events of the entire season. So can't wait for that. All right. Uh, before we move on to our question and answer, too, do want to remind you, if you haven't yet already, if you're watching on Flow Hockey, thank you. Continue to do that. But you can also subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice. You can please leave a kind rating and a review. We will read it on the podcast if uh, if it's nice. Even if it you know if it's mean, then I might not read it. But if it's nice, I will almost certainly will read it because who doesn't love flattery? But that's uh, you know please do that. It does help us get the word out about the podcast. Want to keep it growing. We're gonna have more guests coming up soon as well. Um, you know I I think we'll have somebody uh, from. USA Hockey, we're going to talk a little bit about how these teams were constructed because you look at Will Smith and, and on the U18 team and Ryan Leonard, and you look at Cole Eiserman and James Hagens on the U17 team and all these other great players that are part of that program. You know, it's 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 quite a process to put it together and, and it looks like, you know, another couple of budding American stars. So we'll continue to do that. But please do leave a rating and review uh, when you do down, go to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast as well. Want to get as many listeners out there as we can, but you can also continue to watch every episode on flowhockey.tv. All right, let's move into our question and answers. And first question comes from uh, at Hockey Scribe. And his question is, what NHL or past or present would you compare Will Smith to? Are James Higgins and Cole Eiserman sure bets to get promoted to, U18, to the U18 team before the end of the season? Let's get to the first question first about Will Smith. I don't do a lot of player comps, but one of the guys that just continually pops into my mind is Trevor Zegers. Um, I think that there are a lot of rhymes between those two players, as my good friend Corey Pronman likes to say when he's when he's talking about two similar players. Um, I think there are a lot of things that there there are, there are similarities there. You know, Will Smith doesn't have the off ice flamboyance. I don't think you know he doesn't have that you know, showman's mentality, but on the ice. He really does have that, you know, he makes that extra pass. He he can beat defenders, you know, this or that way. You know, it seems like he's got eyes in the back of his head. I mean, I think one of Trevor Zegers' great qualities was his his feel for the game, his feel for his line mates and, and where to get pucks to. And it and he was the kind of guy that you could build chemistry with instantly because he thought the game at such a high level and still does. Um, so I as I've been watching him, I was trying, you know, they're they're also kind of similar in stature, you know. Uh, Zegers is a little bit wiry, um, whereas Smith is kind of similar in that way. But I, I, you know, I think that Smith might actually be a little bit better of a skater, um, and I think he thinks the game at a very similar level. Will we see him pull out a lacrosse move? Um, you know, will we see him try to try the Michigan? I don't know, but it doesn't really matter. I think all the other things about his game, I see a lot of Zegers in Will Smith, um, and so Zegers went to BU, Will Smith went to BC. Uh, you know, not bad. So you got that's that's apparently where all the skill is going these days. And uh, certainly BC's had their fair share with guys like Johnny Goudreau over the years. Uh, getting to the other question, James Higgins and Cole Eisman, um, are they sure bets to be promoted? Uh, I would say yes. I, I don't think that you can leave two players that score at that level 
um, out of the mix at the national team development program. They have the U17 team and the U18 team. They will often at the end of the season as they're preparing for the world under 18 championship, they will essentially, um, you know, start calling guys up uh, and sending a few guys down. It's an, the unfortunate fact, you know, you've got those guys put in the work. I think it'll happen later this year than normal. I know uh, Jack Hughes basically joined the under 18 team from about late December on in his under 18 season or his under 17 season. And he was already scoring at close to two points a game for the U-17s. And, you know, so it's the similar situation. I think, you know, these two guys are scoring at an even higher rate right now. Um, you know, so so that's another thing where, you know, you get real interested in terms of where where they're going to go next. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that both of those players will be on that team. They'll probably play in the World Under-18 Championship. Um, uh, Eiserman actually has already gotten one game with the Under-18s, and he had two goals against, I think it was Michigan Tech. Um, so, you know, he's already shown that he can play and compete with those guys. Um, it's always tough cause you gotta, you know, you have a team and you try to, you know, keep it cohesive, but when you have players that good, you, you just can't leave them down. So I think it's, it's almost certain, uh, they'll be with that team maybe as early as February. All right. Our next question comes from at Friday, five, one, five, five. Haven't seen many NTDP players accelerate to college after only one year at the U 17 level. Hannafin and Morensky did it. Can't remember too many more. Could Iserman be a candidate for it? Very interesting question. And it's always a, a, a different kind of decision for those guys. I actually remember when, when Hannafin, when it was first reported that Hannafin was accelerating um, and I didn't believe it. And, and that, you know, I'd been told by a couple of people that they didn't even, you know, at, the, at USA that they didn't think he was going to do it. And then he did. Um, and both Hannafin and Warensky played exceptionally well at the collegiate level as under 18s. Now, Iserman certainly could be a candidate for it. It doesn't happen very often. I don't think he has the physically, he's not as physically advanced as like Noah Hannafin was a man at 17. Iserman is very strong. He's got a lot of good qualities. Um, but I think, you know, you look at the other guys and the, the paths that they've taken, um, you know, Jack Hughes didn't accelerate, probably had a chance. He potentially could have and gone to, you know, Michigan and played with Quinn for a year. Uh, decided not to do that, stuck with the national team development program, and then was rewarded. Um, I don't think Iserman is going to be at, at the at the Quinn or at the Jack Hughes level. He's very good, but I don't think he's at the Jack Hughes level to say he could go straight from the NTDP to the NHL if he gets drafted. I think it's more likely that he, you know, he's he's a Massachusetts native who made a commitment to the University of Minnesota, uh, was very early to commit as well in this in this class i think he wants to be on the college track and i think as players have shown acceleration doesn't necessarily mean immediate success it also doesn't mean that it's going to help your draft stock as much i think for cole eiserman the best thing that he can do in his draft season is probably stay at the under 18 uh team with hagan's because hagan's is you know he's even younger um and will need another year after that um as a late birthday you know, I think it's probably best for him to to continue through. It's a very interesting thing. It's something that maybe they could explore. But if you want to accelerate, it's something you got to really start working on now. Um, I don't have any indication that that's happened, but I also haven't asked. So uh, that's a, it makes me think of something else to think about. But yeah, I don't think that we'll necessarily see that. But who knows? We'll keep an eye on that. Um, a lot of these players now, especially at places like the NTDP and uh, you know elsewhere, a lot of them take online schooling now, so they're not even, you know, doing the 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 day-to-day the, the -day high school grind. 
Um, they're more taking classes on uh, online and that's a way to get their degrees. You also, you know, you have to, if you want to go to certain institutions that you can't just accelerate. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting. So very good question. Something to think about. Hadn't really thought about that until that question was asked. All right. I got another fun one here from at C.A. Diedrich. And he asks, how do Hagens and Iserman compare to Bedard, Vantilli, and Mitchkov? Well, that's a, it's, it's interesting. You know, I think at the same age, because, you know, we're judging these guys, they're a year behind or two years behind some of these guys. Bedard draft eligible, Fantilli draft eligible, Mitchkov draft eligible, Eisman not draft eligible until next year, Hagen's not draft eligible for two years. Um, but I would say, you know, I think Hagen's has a lot of, you know, Jack Hughes-esque qualities in terms of his vision and stuff like that and, and his playmaking ability. He's a shot pass threat. He just can do a little bit of everything, um, you know, not – Neither guy is, is is huge at this point, but they're you know they've got time to grow. Um, you know, I think uh, I think that they're in that similar category at this point. Um, Hagen's is very special. I don't think, uh, and then you know, Iserman is kind of scoring at a Bedard esque pace right now in terms of his goal scoring. Um, certainly, one of the best natural goal scorers I've seen at his age in uh, among Americans. You know, Austin Matthews is is obviously the guy that comes to mind. Iserman's wearing thirty four this season for uh, the NTDP. So I'm sure that there's a little bit of a uh, synergy there where he's trying to channel Austin Matthews a little bit. But the thing I'll say about Cole Iserman, um, it's very similar in, in to Bedard and Mitchkov and how he scores. He has tremendous sense of the net, tremendous sense of how to be the goaltender. Um, no matter where he is, he can do it in transition. He can do it, uh, you know, stationary. He can do it from the middle. Um, he can beat a guy one-on-one. He's just just tremendously skilled, um, and he's taken a step even from last year. Uh, so I think that, you know, for me, he's in the mix with those guys. If he was in this draft, we were talking, you know, if he was in this draft this year, um, he would probably go fourth or fifth at worst, um, at worst. And so uh, that's, that's pretty lofty. Hagen's is just a different player. He's got a little bit more of that playmaking capabilities. Fantilli, you know, there's no, there's really no comparison because of his size and skill and, and speed. That, that that's a that's a separating factor from him and most of his peers, and would be from these two as well. But you know, I think in terms of skill level, in terms of creativity, in terms of production, they're right in that Bedard Mitchkov category for me. Um, and you know, I, I know my pal Corey Promen. Uh, put out his early list for 2024. He had Max Celebrini one, Artem Levshunov two, and Cole Eiserman three. I would uh, think that Eiserman's very much in the mix for that number one spot next season, the way that he's played so far. So good question to ask, and uh, we will certainly be tracking both of those guys very closely over these next two years because they do look awfully special. All right, our next one comes from at Dana four five four five one, and this is: Is Samuel Hanzik on the path to being a first rounder? He seems to get better and better per week. Very surprising. Well, I'll tell you what, Dana. After watching some of the players that I listed in my top thirty-two and getting pretty underwhelmed by them at the under eighteen five nations, I think that Hanzik is definitely in the mix. Um, you know, his production this season in the WHL has been outstanding. He didn't necessarily like coming into the season. I was also very surprised to see how he's how he's done it. Uh, but 
I think with how he's produced, the the fact that he's you know he's got some size to him, he's got that skill level, he's got you know some international experience as well. That uh you know he's he's building a case for himself. Um, I think that the this draft, as good as it is up top, just like every other draft, it starts thinning out and thinning out and thinning out as you go on. So it allows guys like Hanzek to potentially jump up a spot and and jump in there. So he's absolutely got a chance to be in that mix, to be one of those players. Um, but yeah, I think the way that he's played this year has been eye-opening. It's a big year for the WHL. Why can't he be a part of it? Um, that's the way that I see it. I think he's going to have some, some opportunity there. All right. Our next question comes from at K hall and why any thoughts on Brennan Othman moving to the Pete's is it better or worse for him? Well, thanks Kyle for the question. And Brennan Othman was traded from the Flint Firebirds in the OHL to the Peterborough Peets. Um, the next day, Othman basically said, you know, one of the reasons that the, he, he wanted to be traded was to be a little closer to family. He's got some ailing grandparents that he wanted to be uh, nearer to, um, you know, and I think a lot of these players that play in the OHL, some of them are on, you know, the U.S. side of the border as he was in Flint and has been for the last couple of seasons, was a high draft pick for them. Um, you know, this is a, uh, it was it was it was time for him to uh you know it wasn't necessarily time to move cuz Flint's doing fine but you know personally it was a, it was the move that he had to make and you know i think the thing about Brennan Othman is uh that, that i that i like about him is that you know he was very upfront came out you know wanted to make sure that fans understood what where he was at why he wanted to do that um and that you know it wasn't because he didn't like Flint or anything like that but you know here's a guy that really some people thought could make the New York Rangers out of camp this year. Um, and so now that he's moved on and he spent the last two seasons with Flint, obviously missed his, uh, his, what would have been his rookie season because uh, the OHL was shut down. Then he went to the under 18 world championship. Apple absolutely lit it up high, high draft pick um, as well. 16th overall. And Last season had 97 points and was absolutely dominant in the OHL, made the under 20 team, six points at the World Juniors this last year, one gold. So what does this mean for his development? Uh, I think it's fine. You know, I think I think that him going to Peterborough, it's it's not necessarily a um it's it's not a lateral move. They're both kind of similar in the standings. The thing that Peterborough has, they got a lot of experience. They've got guys that have been draft picks. They've have you know some some really good players there. Connor Lockhart and Tucker Robertson have been their leading scorers this year. Lockhart, a uh, Canucks draft pick. Robertson, a Kraken draft pick. Um, but they have multiple NHL draft picks on their roster right now. Um, one of the guys that was uh, traded uh, for Offman was also a draft pick, Artem Guriev, um, who hadn't been having the best season this year. But I think Peterborough's got a chance to make some noise. And with Ottman in the mix now, that really changes the dynamic of their team. So I think it's a good thing for him. You want him to, you know, potentially go on a deep playoff run. You want to see him in those key situations. But, you know, I, I don't think it's a positive or negative, really, because Othman is in his, you know, what will be his last year of junior hockey. He just needs to play, just needs to continue to build up. And, and I think that ultimately, you know, being part of a veteran team like Peterborough is going to probably help him more than it's going to hurt him. Next question, and it, it, I, I have a feeling this is going to become a weekly theme, but at Iserman season asks, with Carter Mazur scoring his 12th goal in his 12th NCAA game of the year, how long do you think we'll have to wait for him to break Gretzky's record of 92 goals in an NHL season? Oh, Iserman season. What a question. Well, 
as you know, um, that record of Gretzky's 92 is probably not going down anytime soon. What I will say is that Carter Mazur is putting together a, a season that puts him in the discussion to be uh, you know, a Hobie Baker finalist. I think the way that he's played this year has been exceptional. Denver is one of the top teams in the country. Once again, he is a driving force behind that. His goal scoring and consistency has been incredible. Um, his skill level just continues to expand. And then he combines that with his work ethic, which is why I think, you know, he still will be kind of that, that middle six scoring depth kind of guy. Um, he, he plays with just tremendous tenacity. Uh, can't wait to see him more. You know, I think that he's just taking steps more and more as the season progresses. So I don't think he's going to be, you know, he might be a 20 goal scorer at the NHL level uh, when all is said and done. I don't think that he has the natural score goal scoring talent that allows you to score a goal per game, but he just scores in so many different ways that, you know, it, he's able to put up big numbers. So really looking forward to that, uh, to seeing his development. All right, our next question, we won't see it on the screen because I got this via DM, but I'm going to read it to you. Anything into the Dubuque Fighting Saints adding Wisconsin's forward Charlie Stramo to its protected list and Waterloo adding UW forward Caden Brown. Brad Schlossman tweeted it last week. Uh, Follow-up, does Wisconsin make a coaching change? We did talk about that coaching situation a little bit, and there's no question that Tony Granato is is, is kind of on the hot seat right now. Um, and they've struggled. They haven't, you know, they just, they really struggled even against Long Island University last weekend, which is a team that, you know, you think of two programs in just completely different directions of, of where, where they are historically in college hockey. Um, that's not something that should happen. Uh, to get to your question about Dubuque and Waterloo adding those players, I've been told that was more speculative than anything. Neither player has plans to leave Wisconsin at this point in time. Um, certainly, Stramel has struggled. He did get a goal this weekend in the LAU series. Um, Caden Brown played at the National Team Development Program as well. Um, and But as far as I've been told, there's there's no indication, and certainly on Stramel's front, that he will be leaving uh, Wisconsin to go to the USHL. I know there are some scouts that think that maybe he should, uh, but he is, as far as I know, that was basically Dubuque having the extra slot to add a player because they had some injuries and adding Charlie Stramel. And it's more, it, it, this happens actually a fair amount in the USHL where players that are currently in college get added to rosters and it's more of a just in case kind of thing. There's nothing imminent there. Um, but, you know, again, going back to the Tony Granado question, you know, I think coming in, it, it was such a splashy hire, but the it's a results-based business, right? The results have not been there, not nearly consistently enough. They're heading in the wrong direction. And even though they have had blue-chip recruits like Corson Kuhlemans and Charlie Stramel um, and a host of others, obviously Cole Caulfield won a Hobie Baker there in one season. You know, Beyond that Cole Caulfield season, it, it really hasn't been much to, to write home about. And you know Tony cares a lot about that program and cares a lot about the University of Wisconsin, um, but it, it just hasn't worked out. And, you know, I, I, it's surprising to me. But as I said before, you know, this is a coach that came from the NHL where, you know, you're not having to deal with recruitment. You're not having to deal with, you know, trying to really develop players as much as you are trying to get, you know, win hockey games. And at the collegiate level, you need to be able to develop on top of winning. And and if you, if you don't, you start losing players. You start losing recruits and, you, you know, you, if players aren't necessarily getting better. And I think that's been a huge problem right now is that players just aren't getting better right now 
Um, and Charlie Stramel in the middle of his draft season has really struggled and there's really not much of a sign of a turnaround. He might not make the world junior team after being on the team in the summer, um, just based on his performance to date. So, you know, a lot of questions there for, for the university of Wisconsin. All right, we're, we're going to wrap up the show very shortly, but before I do that, I did want to pause, uh, to take a few seconds to share, you know, a few thoughts and, and a few, uh, positive wishes for, uh, the San Ignatius junior varsity hockey team. If you did not see, um, a Chicago-based Catholic school, San Ignatius, uh, their JV team was at Culver Military Institute uh, for a uh, hockey tournament. They were on a school bus returning from a team meal um, when that school bus was hit by a semi-truck. The, the school bus flipped over. Um, miraculously, uh, there were no fatalities. Um, 23 players were on the bus, two coaches. Uh, there were 16 injuries reported. One player required emergency surgery. Um, their initial report said it was three. It was actually just one. Um, but still, uh, there are some very critically injured players that are going to have a long road to recovery. And uh, this one hits close to home. I grew up in Chicago, um, played junior varsity hockey uh, at Mount Carmel. You can see the Mount Carmel hockey puck if you're watching on uh, Flow Hockey. Um, you know, great experience. And so I, I relate to these kids. Um, and those out of town tournaments were such a, a joyous occasion, a chance to bond with your teammates and, uh, you know, play teams from other States and see how you stack up. And, um, you know, report, according to the reports, this, the driver that hit them was impaired. Uh, you know, the, their, uh, the police, uh, arrested this driver on suspicion of, of drunk driving. Um, and, uh, just uh, another reminder to always be cautious when you are out drinking, getting behind a wheel. Um, this is a horrific accident that could have been so much worse than it was. Certainly the second I saw the news, my, my thoughts immediately went to the Humboldt Broncos and what happened to that team. And, uh, and to know that, uh, these players from St. Ignatius are, are, you know, they survived their families are able to, you know, reunite with them. Um, you know, many of them went to local hospitals, but will make full recoveries. Um, it's, it's a miracle, but you know, our thoughts are with them. The hockey community is such a great tight knit place. A lot of outpouring of support, uh, we saw from all, all areas of the hockey world. Um, and, uh, you know, our thoughts are with, with St. Ignatius and certainly as a fellow former Catholic leaguer, uh, you know, wish you guys all the best in your recovery and hopefully you guys will be able to resume playing, uh, as well. And, and also, um, emotional and mental healing. Uh, you know, we, we, we wish the best for all those guys because it certainly will, will be a, a road ahead for them on that. But all the best to St. Ignatius. We're all thinking of you and the hockey, uh, the hockey world is behind you. So uh, we wish you all the best. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I really want to thank you all for your questions. Remind you, you can always subscribe, rate, review, uh, take a look at the, the video on flowhockey.tv. I also have a bunch of interviews with draft prospects, Oliver Moore, Gabe Perot, Ryan Leonard, and Will Smith. You can check that out uh, right by the, uh, the podcast as well. Lots of live games coming up in, on Flow Hockey every single weekend. It's dozens and dozens of hockey games, so everything you can want. So make sure you are subscribed to flowhockey.tv. And lastly, I want to say thanks to Colt Joyce for producing today's episode. Talking Hockey Sense is part of the Flow Sports Podcast Network. So proud to be part of it and so glad that you guys were able to join us for this week's episode. 
That's going to do it for me. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.